Welcome to Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture, a podcast from Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. I'm your host, Scott Ray, Dean of Faculty and Professor of Christian Ethics. And I'm your co-host, Sean McDowell, Professor of Apologetics. We have a topic that we want to talk about just between Sean and me today. We don't do this very often. Normally, we have guests, as you know, uh, but every once in a while, there's a topic that uh, is a little more challenging to have a guest about, uh, and we felt like this one today is one that we just wanted to talk about between the two of us. You may you may be familiar with the the events surrounding the the allegations against Ravi Zacharias uh, that came out shortly, sort of the dam burst af- shortly after his death. Some of the allegations began in 2018, um, and I think there was I think it's probably fair to say that there was a Sean, as you put it, uh, a lack of curiosity on behalf of the RZIM board and leadership to fully investigate these things while Ravi was still alive. To their credit, the organization um, initiated a full-on investigation of this with a very reputable law firm whose report just just recently came out. Um, And I think, well, maybe the best first place to start, Sean, you you do a lot of the same kind of traveling and speaking, widespread apologist, evangelist that Ravi has done. And I know Ravi's had a big impact on both on, on you both personally and professionally. Um, how, what, what, what did you feel when you heard about this and read the report? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. For me, it was just, it was a range of different emotions I felt over different times. At first, of course, was just incredulous, like, no, there must be something wrong. There must be something else that's going on here. Somebody of just his stature and influence, someone's framing him. Like, that's the initial thought. But then as some of the research started to come out and realize, oh my goodness, like, there is no way... To cover this up, it was really uh, just a series of heartbreak. Talking to my wife a number of times in tears and reading some of the reports of the people who were victimized by him, and you just see the intentional abuse and really spiritual manipulation. That reading that was like, oh my goodness, like just I can't tell you how many times I was in tears because I know people who worked there, I know it affected his family. I just the body of Christ. And then to be honest with you, over time, there was really feelings of anger too, that he really deceived people. He had been confronted about this. I actually only met Ravi, I think once 25 years ago in, uh, in 1996. So I didn't know him personally, which is kind of interesting in its own regard that I interact with a lot of apologists and evangelists, but never actually met him personally over the past quarter century. There was really just some some anger of the ways that he, I think, is bringing hurt to the body of Christ and hurt to people, and it didn't have to be this way. So, yeah, that's all I can say. Tell me about your kind of initial response to this. Well, initially, I was I was incredulous that that this could happen to somebody who, you know, had had basically a, a, a pretty sterling record. Of integrity, I know there have been some questions about his you know, some of his academic credentials in in the, sure. in, in the more distant past, um, but no nobody had ever breathed the word of anything like this. Uh, the the sexual misconduct, the manipulation, the conflicts of interest, uh, and the and the the way the way people were spiritually manipulated and how you know, I think what what I, the one of the main things that 
that shocked me out of it is the capacity for self-deception that mm. that we all have and the capacity for for using spiritual language to justify things that are that are just overt sin uh, and egregious sin. Um, so I was, and, and like you, Sean, I was deeply saddened by this because I, you know, we've had a, you know, a number, of, a number of our graduates uh, from our philosophy program here at Talbot have gone on to be evangelists and apologists for RZIM in different parts of the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've had a partnership with our RZIM to give advanced standing to some of their staff. To come study with us, we've always had a good relationship. The thing that, the one thing that stood out to me is, we've had we've had Ravi on our campus numerous occasions. Uh, he spoke, I think, most recently at a at commencement. And I, being one of the deans, I get invited to the the commencement dinner that is in between the morning and evening commencement ceremonies. I actually sat okay. I, I sat next to him at dinner oh, wow. for like an hour and a half. And all I, wow. I mean, it was just, it was an incredible opportunity just to ask questions of this man. And I thought, what, what a privilege to be able to sit next to him and just to glean his wisdom and from his years of experience. Um, and I, I never, in my wildest dreams, envisioned that any, that someone of his stature and someone of his character, at least what I thought about uh, to be his character, could sure. fall could fall this hard. Well, I'm with you on that. I, you know, there's been tons of blogs mm-hmm. and responses written, and I saw one comment that said, "Let us not confuse just ability and gifting with character." And I thought, "Wow, that is a really good insight." I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't think there's anybody over the past 50 years who was more articulate than Ravi. There there's some other people you could argue are as articulate as him possibly. But in terms of when a question is asked, humanizing the person with grace, with honor, in relationships, but getting to the truth, telling stories, I mean, that gifting is unsurpassed, but we can't confuse gifting with character. That was a, that was a huge takeaway for me because we can rest on those kinds of things, but if we do and it's all said and done, it's just not going to end well if we approach it that way. And this, Sean, this is something that I I intend to to talk to the Lord about when I get to glory, because mm. this is mm. one of the things that really puzzles me about so many Christian leaders who have big gifts and huge impact, but they also have big baggage that they're carrying with them, uh, mm. and it seems it seems like we've just seen so many instances. Of people who have risen to great heights, had tons of success, uh, they've lost whatever teachability they had, and, and had no accountability, and then they fell really hard. Uh, and I guess we shouldn't, I give, given our understanding of sin, we shouldn't be particularly surprised when, the, when yeah. those things happen. And we shouldn't be surprised that people put their gifting out front and keep their character hidden. Uh, yeah, and there's you know there's a lot of self interest involved in that, and I think that, that for me one of the big takeaways is it just caused me to reflect on you know what the kind of people that God uses, and that sometimes God uses people in spite of themselves and not because of 
themselves. Sure, sure. But I'm 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 just curious to to think a little harder about how is it that God invests such gifts in people who are so flawed and mm-hmm. have such significant baggage. That I, I don't I don't quite get that. Um, and and then you know then, then you think about. How, how many of the great men and women of Scripture were these terribly flawed characters? Right. I mean, we can go. I mean, there's a whole litany of them. Uh, you know, Noah, the man God chooses to start the human race all over again, is drunk and naked in his tent afterwards, which is a euphemism for something sexually shameful that mm-hmm. had gone on. Abraham twice tried to to sell it. I think basically to sell his wife as his sister. You know, Moses had the blood of innocent people on his hands. David was a you know man after God's own heart. Certainly not because of his upright character and righteousness. You know, you ask you know ask Bathsheba and Uriah about not to mention his own children about that. Paul had the blood of innocent believers on his hands. I'm convinced, and it seems that you know God just continually uses these flawed people throughout the Scripture. And, I, and it makes me it made me think about you know the times when we in our churches we have these sermons on these great heroes of faith, and what we forget is that the great hero of faith, ultimately the hero of the story in almost all of those sermons is God, not Amen. the not the character. In mm-hmm. fact, in fact, most of those cases, God works in spite of the, the biblical character, not because of him or her. Mm. And I think that's the that that I think is that's my big takeaway from this. Is that you know? Be grateful that God works in spite of us, and don't think that you know that God's working to advance His kingdom because of us. Mm. Um, and that, that, that's and, a- and, that, and that ultimately, you know, we're, we're called to be faithful. It's God's job to produce the success. You know, it's God's job to impact the culture. It's God's job to bring people to faith. It's our job to be faithful. Amen. In what He's calling us to do. Well, I, I think you're right when you look in the Old Testament. It's pretty much one flawed person after the other that it God is. uses. And we see it seep into the New Testament. You know, one one difference, though, in this story is even Samson, as flawed as he was, he went out sacrificing his life doing what was right. You see David, a man who's a murderer and an adulterer, man after God's own heart, who owns it when he is confronted. You know, the famous story of Nathan mm-hmm. who says, you are that man. Well, there there was a letter that had surfaced from Laurieann Thompson, um, the couple who first talked about him really grooming her and inviting her to send sexual images. And just when she uh, finally kind of confronted him and said, this is not right, you've been taking advantage of me wrote this letter and described all the things that he had done to her. And at the end, using the words of the prophet Nathan, Nathan said, you are that man. I mean, powerful, powerful words. Well, there's no evidence that I'm aware of that he ever repented and came out about this. In fact, as I understand, even towards the latter part of his life, there were pictures that were sent that were inappropriate, and it just seemed to continue. Now, only God knows the state of somebody's heart. The good news is we don't ultimately have to make those assessments because we humanly can't do that. You know, David first Samuel 17, Samuel's like, man judges the outside, but God judges the heart. 
we can't assess that, but there there is a significant difference between somebody who is profoundly flawed that God uses and owns those flaws and someone who never, ever does. That's why I wish he was alive when some of these things had really come forward and he could have brought some clarity for that. So that's a hard part about this that I think a lot of people are wanting more um, than than what we have. So Here, that's one. T- yeah. Go ahead. Well, here's one of, one of the other things I wonder about on this is, you know, he's was instrumental in thousands and thousands of people coming to faith. What what should we say to those people who, you know, came to faith through his ministry, and are now, you know, looking I think understandably a bit disillusioned by somebody who had such a big impact on their lives. That's a great question. That's one that I've wrestled with. I think the first thing we just say is, I am so sorry you're hurting about this. Because I think some people who come to Christ are probably going to have a range of different responses to this. I think some might be able to say, wow, God used a flawed person, brought me to Christ. A good friend of mine whom you know was brought to Christ through a fake former satanic leader in the 80s. (laughs) It comes out. It was a complete charade but it brought him to faith. And he was able to say to me, he goes, you know what? It's crazy that God used such a flawed person who is a deceiver to bring me to faith. And he was able to make that separation. But I think for a lot of people, it's just harder emotionally too, for different reasons. So the first thing I would say is I would say, gosh, I am just heartbroken. And I understand why this would make you question certain things about your faith like I get it. I'm not going to pretend there's a simple answer for this. But I also would bring back and I'd say, does this follow that the things that he taught are not true? Does this change what was spoken about Jesus? Does it change that it's the Holy Spirit who saves us, not human beings? And I think I would just try to graciously and lovingly make that distinction in somebody's mind because when it's all said and done, I actually think, I mean, some of his books are profound and deep and true, but just such a broken vessel to deliver that. So I think I would try to make that distinction in people's minds. Would you Would you add anything to that? You think I missed anything in that regard? No, I think the, you know, the, the, the gospel is still true, you know, regardless of who delivers it. Uh, and I, and I would encourage the person to sort of look at the fruits of the gospel in your life. Mm. Um, you know, you've you've seen the gospel's born fruit. You know, you've become more like Christ. Uh, your heart has been changed. That's all real, even even though the messenger was flawed. So I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't con- necessarily conflate the message and the messenger in in this regard. Although, yeah, you know. He, he, you know, Robbie set himself up as a model, uh, and sort of, and I think in, intentionally so, and, under, and understandably sure. so. That's the part that I think we we want to be careful with, um, and we'll, we'll we'll get to more I, of that yeah. in, more, in just a minute. I'm curious about how you feel about, you know, his books and videos. I mean, we have yeah. we we have we have a ton of his stuff, you know, on our YouTube channel. Uh, we've got his books in our bookstore. Um, you know, I suspect. Yeah. You know, I suspect you have a lot of his stuff on your shelf. I, I think you might, I suspect you probably promote some of his stuff or have promoted sure. some of his stuff on your site. Sure. Um, what what happens to all that? 
I can only tell you the conclusions that I've come to at this stage. And if I'm missing something, I'm happy to to change and amend this. But I think some of the content, for example, a book that he co-wrote, which I actually endorsed, was called Seeing Jesus from the East. Yeah. We had had Abdu Murray on our show. Yeah, we had his co-author Abdu talking about that, that very book. And that is one of the best books that I read in 2020. I mean, I, it was a game changer for me. Some of the stories and examples that Abdu talked about and reading that, if somebody asked me, give me one book that would help me strip away my Western eyes and see scriptures in the audience it was intended for. There's some other great books out there, but I don't know one that's better than that. Would I recommend that? I think my answer now is that I would only recommend it to somebody in person, not publicly, who I know has the discernment to separate the flawed character that he was from the message. So I don't think I'd recommend it to a student, wouldn't recommend it to a new Christian. I think it just brings more potential risk and damage than necessary. And if I did send it to somebody, I would be very, very careful to qualify it. So Lots of caveats. Yeah, I think that that's how I've made sense of this. Um, tell me your thoughts on that. So, well, let me ask you one other thing before I do that. Do you think? Okay. Do you think this is an example? I mean, we've we've heard lots of organizations that have completely divested themselves of of all of his stuff, all of his resources. They just, you know, they just kind of we, we wash our hands of the, of him, and we don't want anything to do with him anymore. Is that an example of what we widely decry today as the cancel culture? In effect? I I think it's a little bit different because it's one thing when somebody makes a statement that goes against this left-leaning progressive narrative. So people get canceled today for just like Gina Carano, I believe it was, sending out a tweet that I, I'm not sure I would have worded it and written the way that she did, divisiveness and a dehumanization of people the way it happened in Nazi Germany. But, like, she's free to do it. I understand the point she was making. She was fired from Disney for simply stating a conservative position. There's a difference from, quote, canceling somebody because you want to silence their free speech and take away their right to say something you disagree with and saying, here's a person who spoke primarily into the issue of suffering and evil and the Christian faith and was living a radical double life that caused an immense amount of suffering. So I don't think this is an example of cancel culture. Now, I did see some people that really knew him and his family making comments. And I mean, I just, having a dad who's been in such a public ministry, I put myself in the shoes like, whoa, what if this was my family? Like, I don't even know I can begin to understand the grief that they're going through. And there were a couple statements that were made like, people are just erasing my dad. And I heard that. I'm like, oh, God, my heart just breaks because they almost certainly had no idea about this. This is their hero. They are grieving this image of their entire lives that they had seen and seen their father be erased in this sense. My heart goes out to that and hurts for him. But on the flip side, I also see the damage and want to give that voice to the victims and make sure they are heard and they are valued. And we own the ways that we allowed this to happen as a church and as an organization. Yeah, I, I think you can make a good argument that they, you know, as you put it, were not curious enough at the beginning when mm-hmm. when this came out. 
I, I hope that one of the side effects of the, the Me Too culture is that we, we now believe women when they bring these accusations forward because it is, yeah. so, it is so hard and so costly for women to do that, uh, that the, you know, the idea that somebody would bring a false accusation I think is very, very rare because mm-hmm. it, ta- it takes such courage and there's such cost for women to come forward with these accusations. I think that the, the, the burden of proof, I think, needs to be on believing the, the woman. Uh, and then in, in, in one sense, it's sort of, you know, you have to, you have to prove your innocence. Uh, because I, and I think that's a fair thing to, to ask in this particular case. We're not in a legal setting, so it, you know, so the presumption of innocence that doesn't apply like it does in a legal setting. But I think the, the, the default position is that we, we that we should believe women who bring these allegations forward. Um, and for I think for the organization, I understand that you know this is my family, this is my father, this is what we've invested our lives in. Please, Lord, may, may this not be true. Uh, right. And and, be, and being unwilling to really look into it, you know, adequately right at the very beginning. I think you're right that a lot of pain could have been avoided, and it would have given it would have given Ravi a chance to own this before he before he passed away. Um, one one yeah, other, me, yeah, can I ahead. comment on that real fast? I I think some of this report is just coming out, and it's going to be weeks and months and maybe even years that we fully discover if we ever really fully do learn the depths of what happened. I mean, even this report was like he spent days overseas alone, had his own apartment, had 200, you know, masseuses in his phone alone. Like there's a ton of victims who have come forward anonymously and are probably thinking, hey, the message is out. Damage is done. I don't even need to say anything. So I'm not sure we'll understand the depth of this, but I do think we are learning some structural issues. Like if you have uh, just a board and the people around you are immediately in your family, I mean, there's just a built-in, as much as you want to love truth, there's a built-in loyalties that take place there. And so I think out of this, we have to take a serious look at these kinds of public ministries and churches who's making this call. And you know what? When the first when the case came out about Lorianne Thompson, I called some folks at RZIM and they kind of gave me the narrative that Ravi had given them. I mean, he looked them in the eyes and lied to them. And this is somebody that they trusted, so I get it. They passed that narrative on to me. I'm like, okay, these are people that I trust. But what's fascinating, it actually was an atheist who started a blog and was like, I don't trust him. And it was the atheist who was more curious. It was the atheist who was demanding an answer. And I got to tell you, when I saw that, I was like, you know what? I should have been a lot more curious about this. I should have pressed more. And I feel, I, you know, I feel bad about that. And there's a huge lesson that needs to be learned based on what you said about believing victims. Now, obviously, we don't want to go as far as some of the Kavanaugh hearings and some of the narrative goes the opposite direction. But I think that's an exception in a special place in the vast majority of cases. I think when this came out, had people just said, okay, Ravi, just give us your phone. Just give us certain emails. And if he was innocent, it seems like if somebody said that to me, I'd be like, great, let me just clear myself. I'm going to go out of the way, take my phone, take all of this stuff. That would have been the easy thing to do. And the fact that that didn't happen should have been a red flag. Yeah, the fact that he refused to turn that over 
you know, should have been a warning to the board that something's amiss here. Here's one, one other thing that I'm curious about. I'm interested to get your take on this. You know, I, as you know, I teach in the business school, and we talk a lot about the, the dichotomy in business often between someone's public life and their private life. And, you know, it's very, it's very common in the, business, in the business ethics literature to say that you've got to have one set of rules for business and another set of rules for your private life. And if and if the, and if there's overlap, so much the better. Um, what and we and we tell our students, we say, look, you know that that's not not only is that a, a violation of the lordship of Christ over all of life, it's not it's certainly not desirable, and it's really not even possible to live that kind of sharp dichotomy for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And this, I think, this episode with Ravi has challenged. My thinking on that. Oh wow! I, I, I I'm not so sure that people can't sustain that dichotomy for wow. an awfully lo- an awfully long time, hmm. which I think goes to again goes to our our innate inclination to be self deceptive uh, and to justify vir- to just be able to justify virtually anything we want to based on our desires. So, yeah, it. it I, I think I think I think you you probably can have a dichotomy between your private and public life, you know maybe maybe for a really long time. Um, yeah, that that's a really interesting way to approach it. I think the piece with it's Ravi. It's one thing to have a public and a private life. It's another thing to have a world famous public ministry built around your name that and uh, and around you know, your character. And exactly your character, not just a business. You're right. It's a Christian character. And, you know, this is a challenge that some pastors will face. Like, well, I'm a pastor. Who do I admit some of my faults and weaknesses to? Well, if you're Ravi, it's like, who are even my peers that would understand that wouldn't, you know, shipwreck what ultimately became a $40 million industry, 100 speakers worldwide, one of the most famous Christians in the world, that's an added component to this that I think raises some very fair questions about some of the celebrity Christian culture and how that happens. I mean, if you had asked almost any speaker, evangelist, apologist, who do you want to be like? Who would you mimic your ministry after over the past quarter century? One of the top answers would always be Ravi. Gosh, he sold a ton of books. He speaks and thousands of people come. He meets really important people. He's got a ministry based on his name. So he gets to speak what he thinks is true. He gets invited to these big universities. Like all these things that we tend to associate with success and a meaningful life. And one of my big takeaways was like, wow, you can have all of that and not have a fulfilled life that ultimately is going to cause more damage and pain. So I think you're right that he was, in some way, he had to be living this double life and he was smart enough to know and just covered up and covered up and I think justified it to himself. One of the women that he took advantage of, he's like, hey, we're going to pray to God and thank God that because of my ministry, he rewards me with you, which is a spiritual abuse on such a high level. It sickens me. 
But it also tells me that there was this division within him and it probably started small and he just never had the space in his life to process this and be a human being. And so that double life was easier than coming clean on some of the the, the sin and struggles in his life. Well, and I think the sort of the message to young apologist, evangelist, is that, you know, be careful of being utilitarian mm-hmm. about your character because, you know, it, it, it's not, from a utilitarian perspective, it's not hard to justify keeping these character things quiet and under wraps so that the greater good, you know, the success of the ministry can continue going forward. You know, unfor- un- unfortunately for, for those who think that way, God is not a utilitarian when, mm-hmm. when it comes to our character. You know, God is a full-on virtue theorist when, right. when, it, when, when it comes to those things. And I think ultimately this is where I think the celebra- sort of the celebrity Christian culture I think really gets this backwards is that, you know, God, God is not particularly interested in our being successful hmm. because ultimately that's his responsibility. God's interested in us being faithful. Paul said it's required of a man that he be shown to be faithful. And and I think that's true when you know God, you know we don't bring people to faith God does we don't change the culture God does um, we at the end of the day we don't ultimately build these organizations that are going to last God does um, and so I just, I just have become a lot more careful about uh, taking success or lack of it personally and thinking that I'm somehow responsible. For these things, because at the end of the day, this, this is this is God's kingdom, and you know God's kingdom is going to get along just fine. You know, if I if I you know live life at a reasonable pace and f- focus on being faithful, because that's that's ultimately what we are called to do, and to leave the success part up to God. I think that's well said, and it's also, I think as believers, we have a different metric of success. <laughs> I mean, Jesus is like, leave the 99 and get the one. It's like, wait a minute, that makes no financial sense, but the individual matters. So I think there's a real temptation in ministry. Success is the number of followers on some social media platform, number of books sold, just numbers, 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 and platform. And I do believe that God has made some people that are bigger than life and can speak into those platforms. I mean, Billy Graham was an example of that. He certainly was human and had his flaws. We had Ruth Graham to t- on to talk about. Yeah. Sometimes she felt like she was never alone with her dad and it was all ministry, not fame. Like he was a human being, but obviously from everything we know, was able to stay focused on the gospel and live his life and ministry with integrity. But that's not necessarily the bigger metric in God's eyes. Billy Graham was being the person that God created him to be. I'd grown up with a dad who has been famous in ministry. It's so many people will put comparisons. I was just speaking last week and two people, one lady goes, well, we'll see if you're as good as your dad. Another guy goes, hey, you're almost as good. Like there's all these, con- we just compare all the time. And one of the freeing things for me was like, you know what? I just honestly want to be the person that God has designed me to be. He's the one who gives and takes platforms. And at the end of the day, if we're just faithful to what God has given us, that's success. 
I don't want to live this comparison game. It's empty. And if we see anything, the person with all the comparisons that so many people wanted had an empty, double, painful life that led a wake of suffering behind him. So I think this should make all of us in ministry in some capacity just take a step back and say, what am I chasing? What is my life about? How am I going to gauge success? And what does faithfulness look like? You know, Jesus actually had uh, something to say about that. He said, uh, remember in, in Mark chapter 8, he said, what, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? That's right. And I, you know, that, I, I don't want that on my tombstone. <laughs> um, mm. And I think that's, that's the part that saddens me about this. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, I think there's just there's so many cautionary tales here, hmm. um, and I think you know, I mean, if, if if God's gifted you to do terrific things and open doors for you to do them, by all means, do them. Um, but but don't think that that's because of you, uh, <laughs> you know, because I, I got news for you, it's not. Um, you know, you, you're Sean, you're awfully good at what you do. And, you know, don't tell your dad this, but I happen to think you're better than him already. Uh. <laughs> um, but don't think that's because of you. You know, that's God's right. God's gifted you. You had great, you, you know, you had, a, you had great modeling. Your dad also had people who he had, you know, had given the freedom to speak hard truth into his life from that's time right. to time to keep, you know, I mean, there, there are lots, there, there are times I'm sure when your dad could have gone off the rails. Sure. Uh, but he had, you know, he had your mom for one, who I don't think yes. was going to put up with any of that nonsense. <laughs> uh, but he also had people in his life who he trusted, and who he gave permission to add to, you know, to sort of penetrate that facade that we all, I mean, we all put up some sort of facade of spirituality. Um, but allowing people to ask hard questions to get to get behind that, I think, is is just crucial mm. for us for us to be able to do so. I think that's that's the thing that I would want our our, our listeners to take away from this. That be, be very careful about gaining the whole world and forfeiting your soul. Hmm. Well, that's that's a great takeaway, and it's hard to it's hard to to top that. I think let's leave with that. What are we chasing, and uh, what does it mean to be successful in the eyes of God? I think that can can change everything. You're here. This has been an episode of the podcast. Think biblically. Conversations on Faith and Culture. The Think Biblically podcast is brought to, you, brought to you by Talbot School of Theology at Biola University, offering programs in Southern California and online, including our Master's in Christian Apologetics, now for the first time offered fully online. Visit biola.edu slash Talbot in order to learn more about this. If you enjoyed today's conversation with Sean and me, give us a rating on your podcast app and share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening, and remember, think biblically about everything.